they've not been focused yet during our time of singing um, and, and, and taking the offering, Lord, we pray that you would focus it now and allow us to be uh, stirred by your scripture. Allow it to change us, build, us our, uh, build up our hope uh, in Christ, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so next week, we'll jump back into Mark. This week, we're on a topic. So it'll be a topical sermon, meaning many passages. Some we'll put up on the screen. Some we'll turn to. Some I'll just mention. You write them down, turn to it later. If you're a note taker, uh, you might use both sides of your note insert, or hopefully you bring your own journal. Uh, I might get a little rapid on some points. It'll be recorded. You can go back, find the spots, uh, and listen to it again. There's so much to talk about on the topic that we're talking about today because there's so many questions about it. What is heaven? What is it? Where is it? When do you go there? How long are you there? Who goes there? All those kind of questions. Uh, so we're going to be turning to many passages. Some of them will be on the screen, but not all of them. Some of them I want you to see it right there in your lap. So if you need a copy of God's Word, would you raise your hand so we can bring you one of our pew Bibles. I don't know what else to call them now that we don't have pews, but uh, there it is. Uh, when we think about the topic of heaven, uh, when I think about it, we, we often get very, oh, we're confused by it, and because we're confused by it, we don't really look forward to it as much as I think we should. I think many of us think, wow, what a shame if a Christian brother or Christian sister passes away you know, early, earlier than we would have expected. We, we think, wow, what a shame. They had so much left to live, you know, and, and we don't think necessarily where they are. And the, what the pity is maybe we have to grind it out a little longer, but they've arrived, right? Because we don't have a big vision of where they are. So imagine a dad tells uh, his child, hey, I'm going to take you someplace special. Oh, Yeah. What, where is it? Well, it's not really a where. It's kind of like close your eyes and I'm going to take you someplace mentally. It's kind of a state of consciousness, you know. Okay, like what are we going to do? Well, you don't really do anything. It's kind of just, you, you're just floating, you're existing, and there's not pain and stuff. But, but what, is, what are we doing? We're not doing anything. There's nothing to do. That's what's cool about it. There's just nothingness, right? That kid's not going to be real excited. Are, are there rides? Are there, is, there, is there a playground? You know, No, there's no rides. There's no playground. You're just kind of floating around. You get a harp. You, know, you, can, you can play a harp. You get this cool little gold thing around you. You, know. uh, you get wings that you can't use, so you have to float on clouds. Like, it doesn't, we, don't have, we have a hallmark picture of what heaven is, and it's, it's corny, and it's really boring. And so, because we have a poor vision of heaven... Our vision is what's in front of us, our career, our job, and, and going to a place where there's rides, and going to a place where it's fun, and we want to go skiing, and snowboarding, and hiking, and we want to go work out, and we want to go on our bikes, and we want to go for a nice drive, and we want to enjoy sunsets. If heaven is just floating around, and it's kind of a state of consciousness, that doesn't sound very intriguing or exhilarating. I think it's because we have a poor view of what heaven is. So the first stop will be John, the Gospel of John. I'd like to, you to turn there. The New Testament uh, starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John 14, Jesus 
references a place that is being prepared for those who follow him. This is not a place where everyone goes. This is a place where people go that follow Jesus. He's the way, and if you choose your own way, you don't go where Jesus is. You go where he leads if you're his disciple, if you follow him in repentance and faith. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, you know, preparing them for this troublesome, difficult life. It's not going to be easy. But let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. That's when Thomas says, well, how do I know the way? And he says, I'm the way, Thomas. I'm the ladder that gets you there. I'm the bridge. I bridge the chasm. And so, as we begin thinking about a place that is being prepared for us, we, we, we can immediately dispel some myths. Heaven is not a place where you turn into an angel. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. Jesus is preparing a place for humans that follow him in discipleship, and we'll go to this angelic realm that doesn't mean we become angels. There's nothing in here about not just this passage, in the Bible, about you getting wings, about you coming back and taking care of your godchild. There's, there's not that happening. We're not wandering ghosts. We don't haunt the places where we used to live as kids. We don't walk around the streets and we're still aimlessly looking for a purpose in life. We're not wandering spirits on the earth. We're in a place uh, that Jesus is preparing I do think it's an, it's an actual place. It's not just a, a state of consciousness. Um, he's preparing a place. But he is using a metaphor when he says that in my father's house are many rooms. By house he means where my father dwells. In my father's dwelling place, there's many dwellings. Okay? Now some of us, are we, used to grow, we grow up singing the hymn about um, a mansion prepared for us in glory. And we think, well, what's my mansion going to be like? What are the... What's the front door going to look like on my mansion? How many rooms are going to be in my mansion? And that's based on a, on a on the King James translation of the Latin. It's a long story. It's bad translation. Okay. Um, in my father's house, there are many rooms, meaning where my father dwells, there are many dwelling places. I'm preparing a dwelling place for you. Uh, that doesn't exclude the possibility of mansions. I'm just saying... Uh, mansion is not the, it's not mentioned, and it's not the focus. The focus is Christ preparing this place. The focus is that Christ is in this place so that where he is, we can be. And the focus is not, what are the materials of my dwelling place? How big is my dwelling place? That's earthly minded. The question is, who's going to be there, and am I going to be with him? And he says, yes, if you follow me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You will be in my Father's dwelling place if you go through me. No one goes there except through me. There's the promise. So what is heaven? Heaven is God's dwelling place. That's heaven. Now you might think, well, I, I learned in Sunday school that God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present. God is here. When you go home, God's there. You can't hide from God. You can't do something in secret that God misses. He, he sees all. He is everywhere present, or everywhere is present to him. But God is not present everywhere in the same way. 
He's not present in heaven the same way he's present in hell. Okay. When Jesus talks to the church, to, to the disciples, the apostles, telling them when you practice church discipline, I know that's going to be difficult. Church discipline is a really difficult matter, but where two or three of you are gathered together, I promise to be with you there. I, I thought God is always with us. Yeah, he is, but there's something special about the church getting together to uh, bind and loose. That's Matthew 18. So God is everywhere. He's not everywhere the same. And, and heaven is God's unrestrained, full-on blessing. No walls, no veils, no uh, uh, hiddenness, but full-on presence. Uh, so a couple of quick verses. Why, is, why do we say heaven is God's dwelling place besides John 14? Matthew 6, 9, remember the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah, he's everywhere, but there's a sense in which he's, he's in heaven. He's our heavenly Father. That's the place where his presence is focused. Second Peter, or 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus. Where's Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is in the presence of the Father. That's a place. Jesus ascended to that place, Acts 1.9. You remember when Stephen is getting stoned in Acts 7? The, the veil is kind of our inability to see this place. Whether it's another dimension, a parallel universe, I'm not going to get up here and you know, talk about string theory. Uh, I don't understand these things. Nobody really does. Um, I love going to uh, uh, you know, like the planetarium downtown and hitting that button and watching these scientists with multiple degrees try to explain you know, things like dark matter. And I'm like, oh, he's going to explain it. Boop. And he's as confused as I am. He just uses big words to describe his confusion. Right? Nobody knows what dark matter is. They just call something that. So wherever this dimension is or whatever it is, Stephen is able to see it in Acts 7, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Um, and we need to remember that Jesus is in his resurrected physical body. Jesus is not a floating spirit. Jesus ascended in his physical resurrected body so heaven's a, there's physicality to the place of heaven. It's a, it's a place. It's not a mind state. It's a location. So it's, heaven is God's dwelling place, and because it's, his mo, it's God's dwelling place in its most pure form, unadulterated, unrestrained, uh, only those who um, are completely covered in Christ can be there. For us, it's a holding place. We are not in heaven for eternity. That may be news to some of you. We die, we go to heaven, yes. For now. Temporary. Uh, we know that when we die, we go to heaven because that's where Christ is, and when we die, we go to be with Christ. So here's a couple verses we'll put up on the screen for you. One of them is Philippians 1, uh, 23. Uh, Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. In other words, he... he he wants to die. <laughs> he wants to die to go be with the Lord, but on the other hand, he wants to stay to minister to churches like the church in Philippi. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. In other words, if he dies, he's going to be with Christ, and that's why it's far better uh, to be with Christ. Another verse is 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 8. Paul, here's Paul again. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So to be away from the body is to be with Christ. So what happens when a believer is separated from their body? In other words, 
they die. Well, we respect the body, whether that's through cremation and saving it or burying it or whatever we do. This tradition of respecting the body is this idea that that person will be rejoined with the body, but they're not joined with the body right now. Right now. Temporarily, they're apart from the body. Where? With the Lord in heaven. Okay? So it's temporary, but it's going to be present with the Lord. Now, uh, to drive home this idea of this temporary aspect of heaven, we're going to think, wow, so what's after heaven then? And this, if you're new to this, I mean, it should just blow your mind. We're going to spend eternity here, where you're standing right now, earth. It won't be the same, a different kind of earth. But just how your old body will be now a resurrected body, it's the same body but different, not a swap, not a trade. I'm not going to be a, a you know, seven-foot basketball player. I'm going to be, maybe I'll gain a couple inches because I'm going to just blame on the fall. You know, Maybe I lost a couple inches because of the fall, but you're not going to come back a different race. You're not going to come back a different gender. You're not going to come back a different nationality. You're going to come back you. Your resurrected body will be you, but better, and the new earth will be the same. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah with me, Isaiah chapter 65. I know we're going through a lot of information fast, but I just didn't want to turn this into a three-part sermon, so I said we're going to cram it, okay? Isaiah chapter 65 is one of several places where we'll see this idea of a new earth. Isaiah's kind of in the middle of the Bible, a little to the right. It's a long book, we're in chapter 65. And if you drop down in verse 17, here's uh, this promise from the Lord. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So it's a new heavens and a new earth that is very much unlike the former way that earth was. I want to say almost, probably almost unrecognizable. But it's it's earth still. It's a new earth. And if you drop down a chapter, the next chapter, chapter 66, verse 22. There's the promise again. He says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, 66.22, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So he's promising this perpetuity of Israel's line, and he's saying that line will last forever, as sure as the new earth will last forever. So there won't, there'll be an earth 2.0, there will never be an earth 3.0. There's the next earth, and then that's it. That one's not going to get destroyed. That one's not going to be subject to decay. That one's not going to be subject to uh, disease and storms and all those kinds of things. Um, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Does that mean a new solar system? A new, how does that work? We don't know the exact, the precise nature of it, but it's going to be the same but new. The same place but renewed. Similar to same bodies but resurrected and immortal and incorruptible. And so our future is not heaven. Heaven is a holding place. Our eternal future is a new earth. This is a promise that we wait for. 
We'll put this one on the screen, 2 Peter uh, 3.13. When Peter writes, he says, according to his promise, God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's Peter picking up on it, writing to Christians uh, that are going to be experiencing the troubles that Jesus is talking about, already beginning to experience some of those troubles. And he says, this is the promise we cling to, guys, the promise that we hope for. Is not your retirement. And it's not even a disembodied place where Jesus is, which is great. But ultimately, it's this promise that we got from Isaiah of a new heavens and a new earth that God is going to recreate creation. The Bible tells us that the first heaven and earth will pass away. We're going to be there in a little bit, but we don't have to turn there now. But Revelation chapter 21, mark that down, check it out later. The first heaven and earth will pass away. There's going to be a new one. Um, But we know it's the same earth that's restored. And there's a kind of a unification here in this new earth. The main thing that's new about it in Revelation 21 too is that the separateness of heaven is unseparated. The fact that God's pure dwelling place is unseen by us, unaccessible to us. Stephen got got to see it, but he couldn't, he he went there. But we can't go there physically right now. We don't know where it is, or is it a dimension? We don't know. We know it's a place, but it's separate from us. In Revelation 21, this heavenly city is described as dropping down onto earth, and God's city itself is now on earth. He's coming to dwell here, and we dwell with him here because that separation is no longer necessary because of Christ. And so we're not there yet. We will be there. And those that are in that holding place in heaven will be reunited with their bodies and enjoy a physical experience on a new physical earth. That's the eternal hope that we have. And so the Bible talks about what's going to happen to this earth. It's going to be destroyed so that all the temporary things will give way to the eternal things. That's in Hebrews chapter 1. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, In 2 Peter 3.10, Peter talks about uh, this earth being burned up with fire to give way to what's new. Um, But the, the earth itself is longing and aching for this renewal. And we see that in Romans chapter 8. That's another one we'll put up here. That's a little bit of a longer one. You can turn there if you want, but Romans chapter 8. We see that creation is longing for this renewal and this sort of resurrect, like we're going to get resurrected bodies, the earth is going to get a resurrected body. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's great, right? As much as you suffer now and as bad as things are now, whatever your disease, whatever your heartache, however many people have wronged you, there's a lot of suffering on this thing, but The glory that's going to be revealed to us is awesome. And then look at his next line. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits with eager longing. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's happening there? Have you ever read Genesis? God creates... And what does he call it? How does God describe his own creation? It's good. And he creates, and it's good. And he creates, and it's good. There's, the Hebrew has this rhythm there of 
it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then sin enters the picture, and it's corruptive, it is destructive, it subjects the earth, not willingly, the earth didn't do it, but we introduce sin into this earth, and so the earth itself, you remember in Genesis, uh, Moses describes that uh, thorns and thistles were produced, and now it's hard work to produce vegetation. So in other words, you get the impression that there was always this expectation to till the land and, and produce crop, but it was easier then. Now you've got to deal with weeds and vermin and bugs and, and pests and mites that eat the plants, and you've got to deal with pesticides now, or you've got to do something to try to get creation to produce what it was initially supposed to produce with no problem. And so earth itself is under decay. There's things about the earth that are normal to us that aren't normal to the earth. There aren't supposed to be thorns. There aren't supposed to be thistles. Now, a lot of Christians that are kind of buying into the evolution thing and the old age of the earth, they say, look, well, animals have always been killing each other, biting each other. Look, they have fangs. Look at them. They have fangs. Of course they were designed to. They have claws. Of course they were designed to be predators. And I'm saying, yeah, but you can look at a rose and say, look, it has thistles. It was always designed to make it difficult to grasp. No, it wasn't. Thistles popped into existence just like fangs could have popped into existence. I don't know that for a fact, but it's plausible. Things that are ugly and destructive and the chaos of the earth, that's not normal. And so there shouldn't be tornadoes and there shouldn't be tsunamis. There shouldn't be hurricanes and hail the size of golf balls lightning that sets homes on fire. That's not normal. But imagine an earth without that, no longer subject to the decay of sin itself, and a renewed earth that has the, the good things that are good without the bad, the roses without the thorns, and the animals without the claws, maybe. I don't have a verse for that one, but I'm just taking it as an extension of the thorns and the thistles. Isaiah talks about the lion lying with the lamb. Why would the lion lie with the lamb instead of eating it? Because that murderous economy in in the animal world is over, and it shouldn't have been. And so we get this destruction of the earth. It's a cleansing. It's a remaking. It's a resurrection of this earth, bringing it to a place that it's, it's supposed to be, that it was always supposed to be good. So when we think of material things as bad, we're introducing pagan concepts into Christianity. Uh, Gnosticism that keeps arising every several generations. It's age old and the New Testament Christians dealt with it, but this idea that material things are bad and you have to focus on the spiritual things because material things are mundane and secular and non-spiritual and they're not, they're not, it's not good. So we need to be freed from this body. But Christianity says, no, 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 you're going to get a better body. We need to be freed from this planet. No, 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 we're going to get a better planet. Animals are kind of yucky. No, 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 they're going to be cleansed and made better. Okay, so it's a radically different concept than some of us even grew up with. Looking forward to a new earth. Revelation describes this as a place where there's no more death and there's no more mourning And there's no more crying. This is all Revelation 21.4. This is all from one verse. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. And verse 7, it says the liars are not there. Liars are taken out, and they're not there. 
they go with the fallen angels. So just imagine a place. Imagine a place where there are no liars. It's difficult to imagine. If you think about it, it is difficult to imagine. Complete truth-telling all the time. When you walk into the department store and the new earth, I think there'll still be department stores with tools and we get to build and we get to use our talents and skills, but there won't be a section with locks. What are you locking it for? Well, we have front doors. What's the front door for? Keep people out? Who? Untrustworthy people? There are no untrustworthy people. Is that crazy? That's difficult to imagine. There's not one untrustworthy person. We're increasing in our lack of trust. I don't want my kids playing where I don't know where they're playing. Some of us remember growing up as kids, you just hop on your bike and go blocks and go blocks. And then the whole thing comes out with the guys in the white vans and they've got candy and they bring them in and now we got, and then they had Code Adam. You, you, you remember in your own lifetime the development of this lack of trust. You cannot trust anybody. And we get our kids freaked out. We teach them stranger danger, right? There is none of that. That's just one line, one snippet of Revelation 21.7. Just go there. There's no murders. There's no cheating. No crying. No pain. You will wake up in the morning feeling like a robust, well-rested 23-year-old. Forever! You won't have the fake hips and the fake knees and the implanted teeth. They're going to be yours, and they're going to be great, and it's not going to ache. There won't be arthritis. Your back won't be bent. Your spine is going to be elastic and strong. You're going to be, do, be able to do things that you were scared to do here or that you used to do here and couldn't do anymore. And I don't really get the no death thing. When we were uh, on vacation, we went to the Niagara Falls. I don't remember if one of my kids brought this up or just thought of it, but we're, I was thinking, in a resurrected body, can I just jump over the fall? Like for a dip, for a swim? Can a, a resurrected body handle? You know, and, and back then people would, pay to be put in wooden barrels and sealed and chucked over the edge of the of Niagara Falls in these barrels to see if they would make it, you know? Would we be able to get well, that doesn't sound like exhilaration to many of you. It really doesn't to me, but you know the, the bungee jumpers and the skydivers, you know, uh, maybe we don't know what the limits would be, but we know that there's no death. There's no mourning. M O U R. The other one's debatable. No grief and deep sadness. No crying. And so we don't make friendships only to have those friendships go south. You don't have people that used to be in your life and then they defriended you on Facebook because you said something they didn't like and you mourn that loss of a friendship. It's gone. As we think about 
these kind of things, it's helpful to keep in mind that God created things in the beginning and they were very good and it wasn't until sin introduced corruption that the things became not good. This earth is good. God wants to redeem it. He doesn't want Satan to win and go, man, you messed up my earth. I've got to do something new. He wants Satan to go, I got, I'm going to make this place better than it was when you introduced temptation. And so it's a, a holistic redemption. He's not just redeeming his people, but he's redeeming his people in their bodies, and he's redeeming the place that he created for us to enjoy him, and that's earth. The earth, in one sense, is owned by Satan, and Satan tempts Jesus to say, I'll give you these kingdoms, and Jesus doesn't say, what are you talking about? They're not yours. He says, no, that's not the way. So Jesus in, uh, takes the throne through his cross and resurrection and ascension, and then he he grants it as an inheritance to us. That's why Jesus says things like, the meek will inherit the earth. Those who follow me, those who are disciples, will inherit the earth. We also have verses like Hebrews 2, verse 8, Revelation 22, verse 5, that God's people will rule and reign this earth, the new one. This earth 2.0 will rule it and will reign here. Um, that's not boring. When you're ruling something and reigning over something, there's a lot to do. Some of you realize how busy your schedule is just reigning over a household with a couple kids in it. But there's responsibilities and there's roles and there's lots to do. We'll eat and drink at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Revelation 19, verse 9. We're going to enjoy food and drink the way it should have always been enjoyed before the earth was corrupted and it's difficult to produce things that taste good without injecting it with foreign elements and GMOs and all this stuff. No. It's going to be delicious. And it's going to be enjoyable. And we're going to feast like we've never feasted before. So what I did is I quickly wrote down a few common questions because I know I'm going to get asked so I'm just going to try to lay out and try to move quickly through some common questions before I close with one final verse from Revelation 21. Um, some people ask, you know, will we eat? I think we will. Jesus ate in his resurrected body, John 21. There's nothing sinful about eating. God created eating before there was sin. Um, when angels would visit humans in the Old Testament in human form, they ate. Feasts are described in heaven, like I just mentioned, along with the Lord's Supper. You know, when we take the Lord's Supper and Jesus promised the disciples, I will not take this until I take it with you again when I see you. So original creation was good and we ate. Well, we sleep. Some of you are like, I hope we sleep. Some of you are like me, like, man, that's a big chunk of time of doing nothing. I can produce so much more if I didn't have to sleep. Like, I look forward to not having to sleep. But I think sleep was part of original creation. I think we'll have good sleep. Maybe we'll need less of it. Maybe it, we don't need 10 hours. 12 hours, some of us. Will we work? That was part of creation. To work the land and till it. The curse was that it was hard work now. Now it'll be by the sweat of your brow you're going to produce the vegetation. But of course there'll be work. We're going to have talents and skills that are different from each other. We're going to have different personalities, different skill sets. What will our accommodations be like? 
I kind of diss the idea of mansions, but maybe there's mansions. There's going to be houses and dwelling places that we build. You can see that in Isaiah 65, 21. I mean, what else would there be? If we're physical creatures living in a physical earth and there's wood and there's lumber and we still know how to make brick, it's not going to be like an exodus making brick like slaves, but there'll be easy ways to make brick. There'll be technology. Why wouldn't there be technology? It's normal. There's going to be furniture and wood and instruments. We read about instruments and and music. What are they made out of? Materials. There's, There's nothing sinful about earth materials. Well, we remember each other. Some of us have this idea that when we die, we go to this pearly gate, Peter's there, he grills you about why you deserve to be there, and then step two is he pulls out that little wand from Men in Black and wipes your memory. Just stare at this light, and you don't remember anything. Just a new existence. Well, first, that's kind of stupid. And then it's unbiblical. We don't have any biblical uh, warrant to think that. But when you see verses like 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20, um, Paul talks about uh, presenting the people that he's ministering to uh, in the presence of the Lord, saying, look, these are the people that I've ministered to, and then Paul longs for that day where he gets to take a congregation and present them to the Lord and say, look, they've been built up in Christ. Paul's not going to go, I don't know who they are anymore. I could have sworn I had something to tell you. But I can't remember. And then Jesus says, well, these are the people that you pastored. And he's like, oh, did I? I don't, I don't remember. I was, I was pastoring? I was a church planner? Yeah, you remember you made tents? You used to make tents? What's a tent? This doesn't make sense, right? Of course there's memory. <laughs> of course. How else can we celebrate what God has done and brought us through and celebrate each other in perfection and perfect harmony that right now we're striving for and then we'll have perfectly? Of course we'll remember each other. What about sins? What about evil? Will we remember evil? Will we remember sins? What about the sins that I did? What about the sins that were done to me that give me nightmares and I've experienced trauma? Will I remember those things? Yes, but not in pain. The reason why I say yes is because um, when we worship the Lamb, we gather around and we worship Jesus as the Lamb, if there wasn't any memory of sin, we wouldn't know what we're worshiping him for. Why is he the lamb? Because he's cute? Because he's cuddly? No. You remember all the lambs that used to get slain because you sinned? I do remember that. Well, Jesus is the lamb that covers you. And we will appreciate that forever. We can't appreciate it if we don't remember. But somehow we'll remember it without the mourning, without the crying, and without the pain. What was done to you will not be traumatic. You will be healed from that. We don't need loss of memory to anesthetize ourselves from pain. We, we just need to be recreated. Will there be marriage? No. Jesus gives us that in Matthew 22, verse 30. And the reason why there will be no one given in marriage and no one will marry is because marriage is, has always been a picture of of Christ's marriage with the church that we are now looking forward to and that the new earth is the celebration of. You don't need the illustration when you have the real thing. And So 
the marriage, the one marriage that will be in heaven will be the marriage between Christ, who's the groom, and the church, who's the bride. And human marriage was always a pointer to that. Write this down if that's unfamiliar to you. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Paul says, I know this is a mystery, but this is what marriage is for. That doesn't mean you get to heaven and you don't know who that is. Who are you? Oh, you remember your marriage. You remember your, on earth, the arrangement, the relationship was in a covenant of marriage. But you want to hang out? Go hang out. You want to go on long walks? Go on long walks. Um, you'll be friends. We'll, we'll remember each other. And there'll be peace and there'll be harmony, but it, it won't be marriage. Will there be a sea? Will there be an ocean? Some of you know that the verse in Revelation 21, the sea will be no more. And people like me, I'm like, whew, good. And then other people, like, they, they love to fish and they love to go scuba diving. They're like, what? What? You know? Look, especially then, like the, the sea, the ocean, and we're not talking about lakes, all right? We're not talking about ponds. We're not talking about the little thing in Bussy Woods, okay, where people are kayaking, okay? We're talking about the big, deep, salty oceans with big creatures in it and the, the little things with the bulbs hanging on their head that are so deep we can't even get down there, okay? With the sharp teeth that you don't want to get down there, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the coral reefs where the tide takes you and thrusts your body upon those things to cut you up. We're talking about sharks and jellyfish. That will be no more. So maybe there will be bodies of water that are tolerable and not scary, and maybe dolphins pop up and you cuddle them. I don't know. You ride dolphins, you ride whales. You're like, hey, whale, can you show me what Jonah did? Sure. He gulps you and travels you around, regurgitates you. You're like, that's what happened. Cool. I don't know. I don't know. But I think what, what John is describing in the book of Revelation is that, that chaotic, dark place of punishment where People are lost to sea, and there's a million ways to die. I mean, it's a place of torture. You're dying of thirst as you're floating on the raft. You're surrounded by water and can't drink. That will be no more. Well, it'll be hiking, golf, skiing, baseball. Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? There's nothing inherently sinful about playing and using our athleticism. We're going to especially want to use our athleticism in the new bodies. As we think about our bodies on the new earth, I just want to read this passage. I've recommended this book before, uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. There's a ton of stuff in there. I mean, he's like, do you have pets in heaven? Are your pets in heaven? He answers all kinds of questions. I'm like, I'm not doing that. All right, but, but listen to this. I just thought he's saying it better than I could. Thinking about your resurrected bodies. He says this. Skydiving without a parachute? Maybe, maybe not. Scuba diving without an air tank? I hope so. Will we be able to tolerate diving to depths of hundreds of feet without special equipment? We know that our resurrection bodies will be superior. Won't it be fantastic to test their limits and to invent new technologies that extend our ability to explore and enjoy God in the mighty realms he makes? Those who know God and believe his promise of bodily resurrection can dream great dreams. One day we will live those dreams. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, as exciting as all that is, and I hope that, you know, that's exhilarating to you, that it's not a floaty place, a boring place. It's not like, we're, it, like a dream where you're like, it's not, things aren't really tangible. You're trying to run. It's slow. 
That'd be torture. It's a real place. It's a physical place. And when we think about that, there's three implications. First implication, and the second we'll put on the screen. We'll go to one more verse and we'll close. First implication is we should live for holiness. Second Peter 3.11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about the old earth dying. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, if you're not living for here and you're living for there where God is present, then live a holy life now. Matthew 6. Second implication is we should store our treasures in the right place. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love the no moths. Can we extend that to mosquitoes and like roaches and stuff? Probably. He's saying, you're you're investing all of your time and energy in this corrupted place where you got to buy locks and you can't trust people and your kids can't play in the public playground without a billion eyes on them watching them and you have to put a low jack on your car and this untrustworthy place where even the things that you keep protected, they're going to rust, they're going to get corroded, your clothing are going to get holes in them, bugs are eating them, you got cedar balls in the closet. Everything is breaking down and we're resisting this breaking down all the time. Is that where you want to be? Or do you want to be in a place that's changed and those things aren't necessary? Well, invest there and view your time here as temporary. Final move, final implication, Revelation 21. As enjoyable as this is, as exhilarating as it can be to think about our new bodies and a new earth, none of those things are the main point of enjoyment. Skydiving without a parachute is not the main point of enjoyment. A big house and mansion that you couldn't afford on this side of eternity, that's not your main point of enjoyment. What's your main point of enjoyment, guys? God, Christ, it's his presence. Turn to Revelation 21, we'll end there. Revelation chapter 21, last book of the Bible. Second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. We'll just look at that first paragraph. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now if you look at the emphasis that that John has in this paragraph, the emphasis is not on the materials of the dwelling place, uh, the sports that we get to do, um, how your knees feel when you wake up in the morning and how your back feels when you're going up a flight of stairs. That's great. But the focus of enjoyment and the awe of this entire reality 
is God's very presence himself. This new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a time to focus on the groom, Jesus Christ. And he hears a loud voice in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Not behold this really cool city where you can fly, where cars are, you know, can do things that we couldn't figure out how to do on this side of eternity. God. It's the dwelling place of God. That is what's awesome. It is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. That's what's great. He is not distant. He is not far. You can't, he's not invisible to you anymore. He's right there. And the aching and longing of your very soul is resolved in Jesus Christ. It's a place of God's glory and excellence, 2 Peter 1.3. When we're in that presence, we're in the presence of His glory with great joy. Jude 24, write that one down. Jude 24, what is the source of your great joy in eternity? The presence of His glory. Maybe you don't get that right now. Maybe you're just really much more excited about the possibility of diving really deep in some ocean or something. Beyond that, our lack of appreciation of some of these verses is just a sign of our, our needing to mature and grow up into this idea that what we want is God's presence. These two verses are familiar, but I think they hit home. Psalm 16, 11. What is, what, is, what is the psalmist longing for? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Next one, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You get this idea that there is nothing, it's not the temple and what the temple looks like, it's who's in the temple that matters. We're going to worship the Lamb in eternity, in the presence of the Lamb, serving him in all that we do forever. That is awesome. We get to live in gratitude of this great thing that he's done for us. Last question. How do you know you're going there? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so what is he laying out there to Thomas and the rest of the disciples? He's saying, if you think you can fix your own problems on your own, then you don't need a lamb. You think God is going to pass over his judgment because of your goodness? You're going to be lost. But if you fold yourself and hide yourself under my covering, I block that wrath so you can enter into God's presence. Not because of your goodness, not because of what you've earned, but because of what Christ has earned. Do you believe that? Do you cling to that? Have you repented of your sins and, and clung to Christ in faith? That's the path. That's the way. It's not what we do. It's what Christ has done. So imagine that dad tells the kid, we're going to go someplace awesome. And the kid asks, are there rides? Is there good food? Is there candy? And you don't even answer that. You just say, you know your favorite character from your favorite show? Yeah? He's going to be there. You know your favorite pop singer from that band you've got plastered the posters all over your room? The lead singer? Yeah? He's going to be there, sitting at a table to dine with you. 
They don't care about rides. They don't care about what the dinner is. They're not going to be like, well, chicken or beef? They, they don't care what they care about. That person is going to be there, right? And all the other details are just bonuses. Yeah. Far superior than any pop singer, obviously. Any character from some show is Jesus Christ, the groom that we are awaiting the return of. And so when we think about our eternity, better than what the earth is going to look like and what we get to enjoy, what we're focused on, and what brings us eternal enjoyment and satisfaction is not the what, it's not the where, it's the who, Jesus Christ himself. I want to ask you to stand and ask the worship team to come, and let's close in a song uh, 